Hello, this is Pastor Dan of Edgeboro Moravian Church, and thanks for calling in and listening to this worship by phone recording posted during the week of Sunday, March 21st, uh, the fifth Sunday in Lent. Call this number back at any time to hear this recording again and call back each week for a new worship by phone recording. Uh, just a quick note, yes, Holy Week uh, is fast approaching. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday already. Uh, the elders, much like during Christmas Eve when we gave out Christmas Eve bags, uh, we are giving out uh, Holy Week bags to help everyone worship from home uh, from Palm Sunday through Great Sabbath, so March 28th through April 3rd. Uh, all of our Holy Week reading services will be online and then captured on YouTube. Uh, you can access that in the same way that you or others might week after week on uh, on Sunday mornings. If, if you're not one to get on YouTube, uh, all the recordings will be uh, posted on here on this uh, Worship by Phone recording. So because we have Holy Week services every single day during Holy Week, uh, these recordings will be updated daily too. So come get your Holy Week bags. Those will be distributed on Saturday, March 27th from 10 a.m. until noon. Uh, if you can't make it then, uh, please call the church office and we will get you what you need. Also, you might be wondering about Easter. On Easter Sunday, we will be worshiping outside, rain or shine, at 10.30 a.m. Uh, we will also be uh, streaming this and recording this too. So if you are not able to join us to worship in person outside, uh, a worship by phone recording will still be provided for Easter. So throughout Holy Week, we will be online, but then on Easter Sunday, Easter morning, we will be outdoors in person. Uh, so please bring your own chairs and uh, wear your mask, and we hope to see you out there if, uh, if you can. Otherwise, uh, uh, please keep worshiping in, in the ways that you are uh, from home. Now back to this Sunday, March 21st, you will hear Tom Pfeiffer read scripture, then you will hear me with my sermon, and then you will hear Megan Weikert and her daughter Lynn Mattern as they go through the Lent One liturgy together and sing a hymn in the midst of that. So let us quiet our hearts now as we come before God in worship together. Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 12. Verses 20 through 36. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. 
Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you are going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of the light. There ends the reading of the word. So many times when pastors begin preaching, they start their sermon with some kind of anecdotal story that leads them into their key themes that they picked out from the scripture passage that was just read. So you want to hear mine? I'm going to do it anyway. This gospel passage kind of reminds me of multiple advanced abstract algebra classes that I had taken as a senior in college. Even though I took notes the whole time, even though I understand, uh, understood an equation here or a sentence there, I would look up at the whiteboard so I could kind of look at the whole picture and was just sort of like, what? Let me tell you that this scripture passage gives me that same kind of reaction. That's all I got, by the way. That was my story. I read this passage and I thought, what in the world is happening here? So let me tell you about some of the things that stumped this pastor. This passage begins after Palm Sunday. So first off, we're already a little bit out of order, which already makes you think what in the world is happening here. But let's just pretend that we're okay with that. Jesus and the disciples had already made their triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem. They traveled here because they wanted to be a part of the festival for Passover. Now, Jesus up to this point had been gaining popularity uh, with others through uh, his teachings, but mainly through the signs and the miracles that he was doing. You know, making people see again and turning water into wine and uh, rising, uh, getting Lazarus to raise from the dead and things like that. Uh, there were a lot of signs and miracles that were uh, making people go and see who Jesus was all about. So his popularity was growing. And the Jewish leaders uh, were aware of that. Uh, just before this, the Jewish leaders were, uh, were, were already planning to figure out, well, how can, how can we get our, uh, get our followings back? Maybe uh, Jesus is gaining too much popularity at this point. So he's attracted a lot of attention to himself already. And now he has finally attracted the attention of people who are not Jewish. Greeks. Yes, these are different people. Uh, they came to the Passover festival, uh, which wasn't uncommon. Many people would come into Jerusalem for that, uh, but they came specifically seeking Jesus out. Somehow they recognized Philip. Uh, they did identify that he wasn't from around there, but still maybe they saw him at the Palm Sunday parade uh, when they came in. But either way, somehow they asked Philip, they recognized him and asked Philip, could we see Jesus? 
And based on what other people wanted to see, they probably wanted to see Jesus do some kind of miracle. So it's a simple question, really. Can we, can we see Jesus do a miracle? But does Jesus treat this like a simple question? Of course not. Does he even say, hello, hi, how are you? I'm Jesus, nice to meet you? No, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do any kind of typical response that anyone would have upon meeting someone else for the first time. So why, why, why does he have to respond like this? This is the confusing part. Why in the world would he not just say hi? The entire rest of this passage is in response to that first question. Can we see Jesus? The entire part of this passage, right? When Jesus is sounding like he's almost talking in code, but we kind of recognize that because we've heard Jesus talk like that before. All of this, yes, all of it, from can we see Jesus all the way past that is one entire response to one simple question, which leaves me asking, what is happening here? Oh, but there's more that stumps this pastor. See, God actually speaks to everyone here, which is crazy to think about. It sounds like thunder. No one recognizes God's voice. You might be thinking, well, this isn't really unfamiliar because at the beginning of Lent, we read about Jesus being transfigured on a mountaintop and God's voice was there. And then the very next week, we read about how Jesus was baptized and God's voice was there coming from the heavens, both times saying things like, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So yeah, we read all that, and yeah, that would sound familiar, but here's the thing. None of that happens in the Gospel of John. The transfiguration does not happen in this Gospel. And when Jesus is baptized, there is no voice from the heavens. Making this in this weird, profound, yet perplexing uh, conversation that's happening out in public, the first instance in this gospel that God just speaks out of nowhere in a thunderous voice for all to hear. What in the world is happening here? But there's more. Here's a person, a Messiah, a, a chosen leader, who is in fact supposed to lead and lead people, who is supposed to bring about a new world, who indeed, as Jesus says, is supposed to drive out the current rulers so that, that he can rule in their stead. But then he goes on to say that he's going to be lifted up from the earth and he is going to leave. And we might be as equally perplexed as the people in that story because even the people were like, wait a minute, Jesus, what are you talking about? The law says that the Messiah is supposed to stay forever. So how are you supposed to stay forever and, and rule us uh, with justice and righteousness and make the kingdom of God here on earth when you are going to leave the earth? It makes no sense. Of course, they ask that question and Jesus never answers that question, but then says, while you have the light, believe in it. And as if we weren't frustrated enough because he's not answering our questions, he just leaves. In the very next sentence beyond our passage where we stopped, it says, when he finished speaking, Jesus left and hid among them. 
What is happening here? So can you see why this passage is giving me a whole bunch of questions? I have no idea what's going on here. Now, there's one more instance that makes me question what's going on here that I want to bring up. But this one stuck with me a little bit. This one was, I guess, maybe a little more profound for some reason when I read this. So here's something else that doesn't quite line up. So Jesus says uh, that the hour has come. And so we, we assume that, that he means that, that he knows that he is going to die. And of course, he speaks like that in, in veiled terms, but yet he is, he is predicting his eventual death. So I guess it's understandable if someone knew that they were about to die, that they would in fact say, yeah, now my soul is troubled. And that's what Jesus says. And this falls in line with what we remember Jesus saying in other Gospels. In our Holy Week readings each year, we hear Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Don't let me die on a cross. If I can avoid that, make it be so. Ah, but not, not here in the Gospel of John. We don't necessarily hear that from Jesus. Because as soon as he says, now my soul is troubled, he follows up and says, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. Right after that, he calls down the voice of God. And this is the line that gets me here. He says, this voice has come for your sake and not mine. Jesus doesn't need a reminder that he is sent from God. He doesn't need a reminder that he came to this earth to teach and to preach and to heal, to show ways of love and peace, and then eventually die. He knows all of this. He doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't need any reminders. He doesn't need any comfort. He knows what he came into the world to do. He's absolutely ready to be the savior that this world needs here in the Gospel of John. So if he's so sure of this, if he knows what is coming, he doesn't really seem all that worried. Which makes me think that just as the voice of God came for our sake and not for his, that the trouble in his soul is not for himself because he knows he's going to die, like any other person would normally feel that trouble in their soul upon that circumstance. No, the trouble in his soul is not for himself. It's for his followers. This isn't normal. This is the one circumstance where, okay, Jesus, you can be concerned for yourself. Your soul can be troubled because you're going to die. That is completely understandable. We would totally feel that if we were to be in that situation too, if we were looking at death too. But Jesus does some kind of a reversal. It is completely backwards here. He is not concerned for himself who is about to die. He is concerned for those who are going to live on. What is happening here? So as I found myself reacting with this question over and over and over again, what is happening here? I realized that this is a prevailing question 
that we carry with us throughout Lent and Holy Week. Of course, this is one that we ask of Jesus time and time again as we read the improbable, the impossible story made possible by God of death and resurrection and ascension. So of course we ask that question, what is happening here? It's a glorious mystery for all of us. But just as Jesus pulled a reversal on us with what was troubling his soul, that his troubled soul was less about himself as it was for us as for everybody else around him, I can only imagine that Jesus would pull a little bit of a reversal on us if we were to ask that question. And we continue to ask that question, what is happening here, Jesus? What is going on in this story? I can only imagine that Jesus would then reverse that question onto us and make us think, perhaps challenge us a little bit as he pointed to our hearts and asked, okay, but what is happening here? What's our relationship like? How are you following me? Where is your heart right now? I could almost picture, read it on a page, that Jesus would reverse that question on us. He often will respond to a question by asking a question. And what better way would it be to reverse the same question on us to make us think about our relationship with him as followers of Christ? What is happening here? And continuing to ask about what's happening in our hearts, I can very well imagine that Jesus would redirect his finger, his point on our hearts, and then begin pointing out to the world, knowing that we are called to love the world just as much as we love ourselves and love Christ, redirecting his finger to point out to the world and then ask the same question, what is happening here? We could list a whole bunch of great things that are happening in the world. But we know that Jesus not only asks about the great things, but, also, but asks about everything, even the things that we don't want to talk about, even the things that we don't want to, those responses that we don't want to admit that we have that for, for that question. And given that we've all been through a challenging year, I know that this question is in fact really challenging. A lot of things have come to the surface here in our community, here in our nation, uh, we're answering that question, what is happening here, would make it really hard and challenging. What is happening here? Why do only a handful of rich people have more money than more than half the entire country? Why are so many people going hungry when there's plenty of food to go around? Why are we not caring for the environment as we could, God's very creation in which we live? Why did half a million people die during this pandemic? Why are women unapologetically treated unfairly, even when it comes to weight rooms, but even more difficult and serious things like income disparity and many other things too? Why do so many people of different cultures and races, genders and religions have to even think 
about being profiled or having their possessions vandalized or places of work and worship vandalized or worse, losing their life at the hands of someone else. What is happening here? Man, this is a really important question. One that I hope we keep on our hearts as we go through Holy Week. It starts by being asked of Jesus as we try to better understand the events and the teachings that took place during that week long ago. But as Christ reverses that question back onto us, it's a question that leads us to personal and communal confession. Confession that can be intense as we began to feel. Confession that will hopefully lead us closer to care for self and care for the world because these things are happening where we live. And maybe there's something that we can do about it. We hope that that level of care can match Christ's level of care for us and for the world. A kind of caring that did not flinch and did not redirect, and did not go inward to himself, even when facing death head-on. So thanks be to Christ for his endless, his steadfast care for us and the world. And thanks be to Christ that, as he says, he has drawn us together, so that as we ask, what is happening here? What is happening here? and here, and here, and as we seek understanding, and as we do the work of confession, and as we engage in caring for ourselves and each other and the world as Christ would, we give Christ thanks that we are not alone in any of this along the way. So may we keep that question on our hearts as we go through this Holy Week together. And may Christ bless our Holy Week journey. Amen. Lord God, holy mystery, you have shown your great love towards us by sending your Son into the world to be a light where there is darkness. We thank you, Lord, because you have rescued us from darkness by your redeeming action and have made us welcome in your kingdom. By your generous love, we are forgiven. Lord God, Jesus Christ, you did not consider equality with God something to cling to, but emptied yourself, taking the form of a humble servant. You became obedient to God to the point of death on a cross. Your love compels us to live for you through compassion for others and ourselves. Lord Jesus, you have overpowered the consequence of sin so that we might know forgiveness. Your wounds are our wounds, and by our wounds we participate in your healing love. <clears throat> Lord God, Holy Spirit, you descended upon Jesus, anointing him to bring good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the time of the Lord's favor. 
Fill our hearts with love of God and make our bodies your holy temple. spirit, from all self-righteousness, from every form of neglect, from ingratitude and selfishness, from lukewarmness, from all indifference to the life you lived for us. Deliver us, gracious Lord and God. By your human yet divine presence, by your pure and blameless childhood, by your willing obedience, by your humility, meekness, and patience, 
by your faithfulness in your earthly calling, by your fasting and temptation, by your perfect life before God and humanity. Bless and comfort us, gracious Lord and God. By all your sacred wounds and precious blood, by your innocent suffering and dying, by your rest in the grave, by your glorious resurrection and ascension. Bless us and save us, Christ Jesus, our Redeemer. Fulfill in us your prayer that all who love you may be one, as you are in the Father and the Father in you. You have made God known to, to us as Father, so that the love with which he has loved you may be in us. And you in us. Christ and him crucified. Remain our confession of faith. 